So glad to see all of you in this room. I know a lot of emotions can come into a day like this. Today is not just for the babies that we bless and their families. Today is for the church. It's for all of us. This isn't just a, a day of seeing some cute babies on the stage. It's for us to be reminded what it means to be the church. So much of what the infants and the babies we prayed over today and what our young people will grow up to believe and know about God will come from how they see people live out life with God who are in this worship space today. Whether you were single or married, young or old, it doesn't matter. So much of what they are going to know about God and believe about God will come with how they see us engage God in our lives, both in this space and how we leave from this space to live out a life with God in the world. It is true it takes a village to raise a child. And, and uh, in many ways, this church chose me and my family. Like, this is a job, this is a vocation, this is a calling for me. But in some ways, now for a number of years, my family, like, we have chosen this church. Like, this is the, this is the village my wife and I have chosen to surround our two kids with. A, a 16 and a 14-year-old, you have been the village that have helped teach them about life with God. I don't know if you've noticed this before in the Bible, but sometimes God, uh, or the Bible, speaks about three generations. So a lot of times in the Bible, especially the first few books of the Bible, what you have is that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's repeated over and over again. And then you even have places in the New Testament, like in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul is writing to Timothy, this young child in the faith that, that Paul took under his wings to disciple him and teach him the ways of God, to prepare him to be an equipper and a minister. And in 2 Timothy 1, 5, Paul says, I want to acknowledge the faith that your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice placed inside of you, three generations of people. And maybe the whole Bible, part of what God knows is the mission of God and the dreams of God. It needs generations of people who are raising up the future generation to know who God is in the world. So what I want to do today is I want to spend the first half of this message talking about power. Talking about what it means to be empowered by God's power. So we're in a series right now, this whole year we're going to be in the gospel, studying the life of Christ. And for six weeks, the first six weeks of the year, right now we're in week four, we're talking about how the gospels end, how the gospels prepare us for mission and prepare us to live a life with purpose. And we're gonna talk some about purpose. But I wanna talk this morning about what it means to be empowered by God's power, that God's power comes into our lives to empower us to be God's people in the world. And then toward the end of the message, I wanna spend just a few minutes talking about what this means for the people we bless today and for the next generation, the younger generation. Will you open your Bibles both to Genesis chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 28? They're far from each other, but you can do this. Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. We've been in this for a few weeks. Genesis chapter 1, first chapter of the Bible. You can open it. In Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28, these three verses, here's what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over. Will you repeat the, that phrase with me? Rule over. In some of your versions it says, have dominion over. So what God is saying in Genesis 1.26 is that human beings have been created to rule and to have dominion. Now, if you're making notes in your Bible, you're going to see this phrase pop up a couple of times in what I read in three verses. And this is not an abusive kind of power. This isn't God saying, I'm giving this to you to do whatever you want with it. God has given this dominion and this rule to human beings, uh, believing and trusting that they will respect what God has created, that they'll steward it well. Not that they'll abuse it, not that they will exploit it. So it's not just human beings to have for their glory, it's for them to partner with God for His glory. 
so that they may rule over, have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. I want you to notice in verse 27, three different times the word created shows up. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. It's letting you know, this created human beings with a very specific purpose in mind, an identity in mind. And then you get verse 28. And what I did on the screen, and maybe you can notice this, is I want you to notice the commands of God that show up in verse 28. They're, these are the imperatives. This is what God is commissioning human beings to do. The first thing, God blessed them. I want you to notice that. God blesses human beings. So the first thing God does after he creates human beings is not ask them to do anything. The first thing God does when he blesses human beings or creates human beings is he blesses them. When, I, when you see blessings show up in places like Genesis 1.28, I don't want you to think this is God like saying, uh, hey, bless you, go get them in life. Like blessing came with identity. This was about mission. This was favor of God coming upon people. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over, have dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I want you to notice there's a couple of things God establishes in creation. Two things. God establishes rhythm and God establishes partnership. And I don't want to overdo how much we talk about the word rhythm. I think it's a really good word for us to think about life with God. And in Genesis, God establishes a rhythm that goes like this. When God creates, it's six days God creates. And then day seven, God rested. God creates this rhythm that is meant for human beings to take on for himself. Now, I want you to think about it. After six days of creating, if you read Genesis 1, God creates with his mouth, not with his hands. God speaks, things happen. So at the end of six days, it's not like God is in need of uh, medicine or band-aids for blisters on his hands. God's not in need of a massage therapist. God doesn't need Gatorade to quench his thirst. God doesn't need a, a post-workout protein shake or protein bar. Like God, he speaks, things happen. God doesn't seem to be too tired after creation, but he rested on day seven. And he didn't rest because God was in need of the rest. He rested because God is establishing a work-life rest balance that human beings are meant to, to mimic and to take on in their own life. God establishes rhythm. God also establishes partnership. So God gives rule. God gives dominion. From the, very, from the opening chapter in Scripture, God is expecting human beings to partner with him to take care of all that God has created. From the opening pages of Scripture, God takes a major risk. And I love the thought of serving and worshiping a risk-taking God. God took a risk. And God's risk was entrusting human beings to take care of everything God created. Now, I want you to see how these two things feed off each other. Because if your rhythm is off in life and your rhythm is off with God, you're not going to partner with God the way God desires for you to partner with God. And if you don't have in your mind what it means to partner with God, that God has equipped us for this, our rhythm can be off in life. Now, I want you to notice God blesses three things in the creation story. Three things God blesses. In chapter 1, verse 25, God blesses animals. In chapter 1, verse 28, God blesses humans. And in chapter 2, verse 3, God blesses a day. So the first thing God blesses is animals, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. This is a very kind thing of God. This is a very cute thing God did, that God took time to bless all the animals. Because Lassie and Nemo and Simba, they're in need of a blessing from God, right? 
But then God blesses human beings because God is placing on them favor and blessing and mission and identity. And it is kind of awkward a little bit. It's kind of surprising, maybe more than awkward, that God blesses a day. The first thing God makes holy in all of creation, it's not people. It's in chapter 2, verse 3. It's a day that God makes holy. Because God knew that if this work-life rest balance is off in the world, then what happens is our work becomes an idol and not something we do to serve God. So when it comes to this rhythm and partnership that God creates in Genesis chapter 1, God is setting forth for human beings a work-life rest balance that is meant to remind us who God is and what life with God is like. And God is, he wants that rhythm in place to remind us that what we do in life is that we partner with God in all the ways God is blessing the world and restoring the world. So God took a major risk and for thousands of years, human beings got it wrong. It's like whenever their rhythm was off and they forgot this need for Sabbath rest and resting to remind them who God was, their partnership with God was off, and they in many ways forgot who God was. And they forgot what it is God may want from them. So thousands of years this happened. Rhythm was off, partnership was off. And then you get Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 28, and we've looked at this now for a few weeks, Matthew 28, verses 18, and just the first part of 19, it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. If you want to go home and read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, it tells you that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, God exalts Jesus. God gives Jesus all authority, meaning Jesus could do with that authority whatever it is Jesus wanted to do with the authority. All authority has been given to me, is what Jesus said. And then Jesus says you go into the world. Now, think about it. He's talking to apostles who just days before rejected him, betrayed him. One of them handed him over to die and then took his own life. I wonder if the mo in that moment, if the apostles wanted to be like, uh, Jesus, before you commission us into the world, will you tell us real quick, based on what we've done for you over the last three years that we've been with you, what grade would you give us? And based on the grade you would give us of how we have partnered with you, are you sure you want to do this? Because do you think the humans coming after us are going to do better than what we have done? And Jesus took another major risk because Jesus does what God did in Genesis chapter 1. And what God continued to do throughout all of Scripture. And what God continues to do to this day. It's to invite people into a saving relationship with Jesus. And to develop rhythms in life that keep them connected to God. And to give them, give them daily reminders of what partnership with God is meant to look like in the world. I want to talk about, just for a few moments, that this power that God has is meant to empower us for a life of living for God. Now, uh, when I was uh, 17 years old, I took a job at CompUSA. It's kind of like a Best Buy, kind of like an office depot. I took this job because I, f I had a friend who worked there. This was way back in the 1900s, back when, I mean, minimum wage was $4.25, and they offered me a job making $6.50 an hour. So I said yes. I knew nothing about computers. They hired me. I show up on day one. They give me a CompUSA shirt. I had khakis on. I had to tuck my shirt in, which I'd never done a day in my life. Tuck the shirt in, and they put me in charge of ink cartridges. 
I had no clue what ink cartridges even were. I didn't know what they went, went to. I didn't, I didn't know if these were, do I sell them to tattoo artists? Is that what they do? Is he, are these to fill up pens? Like I, I didn't know. There was no training at all. There was no equipping. I felt so ill-equipped that day one, I, I, like customers were asking me questions. I didn't know answers to them. So I would go to the back and just disappear until customers would either leave or ask someone else. Like I was... I was awful at my job. And I remember day one, like I, they were like, Josh, you got to communicate with your customers. You got to get them answers to questions. I didn't know where to find questions, but no one put me through training. They didn't give me any instructional instruction manual to read. I had nothing. It was just me trying to figure out what I was doing. I quit the job after three weeks. I just couldn't do it. And then I took a job at CC's Pizza where I made $4.25 an hour. And they put me in charge of cutting pizzas. And this is what I did for the next 15 years of, uh, 15 months of high school. I cut pizzas <laughs> at CC's. And I remember on day one, I mean, CC's for 25 years has been the number one CC's in the nation. And the only reason I bring that up is every single day of the week, we were slammed. And we had an oven and it was, you had three ovens stacked on top of each other, meaning on almost any minute when we were getting slammed, you may have up to six pizzas coming out of the oven at a time. So as the cutter, I had to take a pan, reach over, scoop a pizza onto a pan, put it onto another pan, put some garlic butter around that, and then spin that pan as I tried to do a cut real quick. And this is so important because have you ever been to a pizza buffet where you reach for a piece of pizza and the whole pizza comes up? And it's because the cutter didn't do his job right. So next time you go to that place and you pick up that piece of pizza, I want you to give a shout out to the cutter who's working at CC's or Tyler, you hear me at CC's? I want you to give a shout out to that cutter because they, they did their job. The first day, six pizzas are coming out to oven. I got flustered because there are too many things going on and I missed it. Multiple pizzas just started falling on the ground. And what the manager did is he said, Josh, Hey, they came over and helped. And he says, hey, I want Julio to come and he's going to teach you how to do this. So what I did is I watched Julio and he, Julio taught me, a, he taught me the motion to cut, kind of walked me through it, empowered me, trained me, gave me instruction in the next 15 months. That's what I did with my life. I want you to think about when it comes to power and being equipped and being trained, it often comes best he takes us under their wings, teaches us what they know, and empowers us to do the same thing. They say at Harvard Medical School, every year there are about 165 incoming students into their medical program, and there are around 10,000 physicians and doctors who play a part in educating them over the next few years. So you think about what one child may need isn't just one person investing to them, but dozens of people who are helping to teach them the ways of God of what it means to navigate life with God in the world. Now, here's, what's, um, here's what this means, I think, for our younger people and what it means to transfer power. So go with me here, all right? I want you to think just for a moment about the difference between sub-zero uh, transaction and a positive sum transaction. All right, so I want you to think about a zero sub-transaction and a positive sub-transaction, meaning this. 
Jeremy Upton's a member in our church and he plays the upright bass. I have never played an instrument in my life, ever. Now, if I went to Jeremy and I said, I want you to teach me how to play the upright bass. And then Jeremy responds to me and says, I would love to teach you, but I'm gonna have to charge you for this, $100. And then I respond and I say, I don't have 100, how about 50 per lesson? And Jeremy's like, $50 per lesson. So I begin showing up at Jeremy's house once a week for one hour for him to teach me how to play the upright bass. And every time I go to a lesson, I'm gonna take $50 that is mine and I'm gonna give it to Jeremy for that lesson. So when I leave the lesson, I, my, my bank account has decreased by $50. Jeremy's has increased by $50. I have $50 less. Jeremy will have $50 more. The whole economic system throughout the United States of America hasn't changed at all. Just the distribu distribution changed a little bit. This is sub-zero transaction. I have less. He has more. But power works differently. I want you to think about power. Because when I go into that house to learn from Jeremy, I know nothing about playing the upright bass. He has all the power of playing the upright bass. But every time I leave a lesson with Jeremy, I'm going to have a little bit more power of what it means to play the upright bass, and Jeremy hasn't lost any power of what it means to play the upright bass. So he still has all the power and the authority of playing the upright bass, and I'm gaining a little bit more every time I go. Therefore, the world is getting a better taste, hopefully, of what the upright bass sounds like because his power, which doesn't change at all, now becomes a little bit of my power that ends up blessing the world. This is discipleship at its best. That God, in choosing to empower us, is not giving up any of his power at all. It's that God, in all of his power, is choosing because of his goodness and graciousness to empower us with his power to spread his goodness all over the world. This is what it means. So I want you to think about what this means for our young people just for a moment. I've learned uh, recently that storks are tenacious about their young. They will fight for them, protect them with a beak like that. You can fight really well. They're tenacious in how they protect their young. And eagles, in some ways, are similar. So an eagle will have multiple eaglets at a time. They live in that nest for around 10 to 12 weeks. So in those 10 to 12 weeks, the mother is with them 90% of the time, the dad is with them 10% of the time, which sounds about right, right? And when it comes to feeding those eaglets, at first, the first few weeks, the dad does almost all the feeding. Not regurgitating, teaching those eaglets to eat like human beings. I'm gonna give you food and you're gonna learn to chew the food. Those second, those middle weeks, the mom and dad are sharing responsibility in feeding the eaglets. The last few weeks, the mother is taking on responsibility of feeding the eaglets. Maybe the dad got bored, I don't know, all right? But they're taking care of them. They provide wings that protect those eaglets from the sun or from the rain. A lot of times, eaglets are born almost blind and they need the warmth of their mom and dad and those wings to help them have sight to see the world. And then when it comes to flying, what happens is those eaglets will spend days 
watching how their parents fly. That when those parents lift that right wing, they're lifting the right wing just like their parents lift the right wing. And what the eaglets will do for a couple of days, and you can go watch your own YouTube channels, is they do what is called branching, that they will spread those wings, and they're not just gliding through the air. What they're doing is they're kind of jumping from one branch to another branch, mimicking how they see their parents fly so that they can do the same thing. There's, a, there's an eaglet orphan sanctuary refuge up in the northeast where they take eaglet, eaglets who don't have moms and dads, they go take them to the sanctuary, and it's a big space for them to fly, and they always keep one adult male eagle in that place to teach those other, the baby eagles how to fly. So these orphan eagles will go into this cage with this one male eagle, and they will study him and watch him and learn from him and then fly just like him. This is discipleship that the power of God has empowered us and now we aren't just handing on to the next generation. Here's a book to read. We're not just handing on to them, just principles we want them to know in their head, but the way we live their lives is that we, hey, we want you to see in and through us what it means to live a life with God. True power shared is how the power of God is shared to the world. Good godly parenting is not just protecting your children from harm, but preparing them to fly in the world. Discipleship goes from you watch what I do to now join me in what I do. This is what Jesus does. It's a time when Jesus, he first calls people into his presence, even the apostles, and it's like, watch what I do, and then it's do what I do. In the church, this is what discipleship looks like. We want younger people to, hey, watch what I do, but now do what I do. So New Arrival Sunday is a special Sunday in the life of our church. And we have a few of these days throughout the year that I think are really important to who we are. So New Arrivals always happens in January, and Senior Sunday always takes place in May, where we honor our, our graduates. And in many ways, Senior Sunday, so we're talking about almost two decades of somebody living their life, right? Some of these will be raised in this church for almost two decades. They represent a generation that has been raised for two decades. And in many ways, the stories that we hear on Senior Sunday are an answer to the prayers that are prayed on mornings like today. That we pray prayers for boldness and courage and for faith to increase and for moms and dads and, and godly spiritual aunts and uncles to surround our, our younger people, to teach them the ways of Christ. And then you, we get to hear some of these testimonies on Senior Sunday of the many people who have been at work through the power of God in the lives of our younger people to teach them the ways of Jesus. I'm encouraged by this younger generation. I know a lot of people sometimes point fingers at them or how they just want to deconstruct their faith or they're falling away from faith, but there's, there's something happening with the younger generation and maybe, maybe you catch wind of it. Over the last few weeks, there was a gathering of over 50,000 people in Atlanta called the Passion Conference, and you can just see an image of this. 50,000 people who chose to spend a few days, and most of these are 18 to 25-year-olds who gathered for a few days to cry out to God, to pray for great things, and to ask God for revival. 48 hours, the last two days of the year, so moving into the new year, there was a gathering of six to 7,000 people in Fort Worth, Texas, who prayed and worshiped around the clock, asking God as we move into a 
the new year, that would re revival would come upon the United States of America and the world. 48 hours, they fasted and prayed and laid, them, laid themselves before God asking for revival. What were we doing the last 48 hours of 2023? And there are multiple other examples I could give of even Church of, Church of Christ groups and groups around the United States of young people who are gathering asking God for revival as they surrender to God. Our younger people today, they don't need people to tell them how bad the world is, but how good God is. They don't need daily reminders of how much trouble surrounds us. They need daily reminders of how Jesus is the one who anchors us. They don't need cynical voices in their life. They have enough of that in the world. They need people who have chosen joy when life is hard. So here are a few things that our young people need from us. And I'm gonna start out and I wanna nudge some parents for a minute. I'm gonna nudge the parents. And I hope this comes across graciously and kind. I wanna nudge you. And the first one is this. What our younger people need from us is to know that not only are we passionate about their spiritual development, but we are passionate about our own. So I'm gonna encourage you, don't develop rhythms. I'm talking about regular rhythms in your life of making sure children are in places of spiritual connection while you are not. Don't place your children in places of spiritual connection where they are learning about God in groups of people, yet we create regular practices of going to get coffee while our children are being spiritually formed in community. Form practices in your own life of being spiritually formed. And the second is this is that I want to encourage people, not just parents, I want to encourage us, just nudge you a little bit, consider this, to consider transitioning from read, reading Bibles on a device to actually picking up a physical copy of a Bible. And I want to nudge you in this way for a couple of reasons. One, I know very few people who I would consider, and I don't mean this judgy, who I consider serious engagers of the Bible only read the Bible on a device, too many distractions. Uh, and I want, especially parents, for you to consider this. I think your children need to see the Word of God in your hand. They see enough device interaction in your hand. They need to see the Bible, like divine presence of God, the, the Word in your hand. Because it's not just something you do alone with God. Like it becomes a witness that we want people to know we're pursuing God. We want our children to know we're pursuing God. We're trying to hear from God. We want Bible engagement. And thirdly, I want to nudge you that they need to see how we're partnering with God to steward this world in the mission of Jesus. That we are taking seriously what rhythm with God looks like and what partnership with God looks like in the world. I saw this post a few weeks ago, uh, and it said this. It said, churches are wasting precious opportunities by not singing the old hymns. They had a message that's needed by young people today. Let me talk about it just for a moment, all right? Because I, I don't scroll a lot of Facebook, so I don't know if some of you posted this or not. And if you did, what I'm about to say, I, I love you and I believe it was from a good heart, all right? Um, here's what I would say. Every old song was a new song at some point. And every old song, when it was first new, there were people who were upset about not singing the older songs. And there are some older songs that I dearly love. And not just because it's nostalgia, not just because it reminds me of my grandparents, churches that I was raised in, it's because there are lyrics that draw me to the heart of God. 
But there's something about like an image like this that makes its way around social media that I, and this is gonna sound so judgy, but I bet the person who created this and a number of people who shared it attend churches that have very few young people who go to their church. And I think a much better posture for us may be something like this. There are old hymns that honor the heart of God and breathe life into people, and I hope the younger people will sing them along with the older people. And there are new songs that honor the heart of God and breathe life into people, and I hope the older people will sing them along with the younger people. And I hope that we, as a church, will model a faith that brings everything we have into worship experiences like this, but that it, goes, that it will go beyond the worship experience to how we live a life with Christ in the world, empowered by God's power, partnering with God in all the ways God is trying to restore Memphis and beyond. And nowhere do we see, not this transaction, but this transfer of power more than the cross, where Jesus had to fully trust that the power of God is what would lift him out of the dead, lift him out of the grave, that the power of God is what would bring him back to life and believing that the power of God bringing him back to life would be what the world would need to be empowered by the gospel to live out this relationship with Jesus. Jesus believed in that power. So today as we take the bread and the cup, I want you to take just a moment for you to thank God for the power God has given to raise Jesus and to raise us from the dead and how the bread and the cup in life with Christ empowers us to be God's people. And this morning for us in the room, I don't know if uh, those of you, I don't know if our virtual is working right now, but if you're online, it may be a little more difficult, but I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray. And for those of you in the room, I want you just to take a moment this morning. I want this communion time for you to be whatever you and God need this time to be. If you choose to stay in your seat and have a moment with God with your eyes closed, that's great. I wanna encourage you to do something though in this time. It's here in just a few moments, you're gonna see dozens of our teenagers and you're gonna see a few young people in the room, younger than our teenagers, who are gonna make their way to tables and they're gonna take the bread and they're gonna take the cup. And they're gonna take about 20 feet to walk to those tables. And as they do, I want you just to look at them, glance at them and pray this prayer. That as they move to Jesus, that it will be a movement in their life that will go on forever that as they move to take the bread and the cup, this will be a move they will choose because they see how we are making a move to Christ in our own lives. And that that bread and the cup will be what will empower them to go and be God's people in the world. And this is all because of Jesus. If you are in need of a prayer of empowerment or blessing in your life, as we go to communion today to these tables, you're gonna have a few people around this room forget who our elder is up front. I know Stoney's in the back. We'll have an elder up front. I forget who our two lady prayer partners are, but we'll have two of them. I see Shelly. I forget who the other one is. We'll have another one right over here. Uh, Suzanne's heading that way. And if there's anything we can do for you, this is a time for us to, to connect to God and to connect with each other. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? For God, your power is to be worshiped, is to be honored, respected, but it means a lot to us. I hope it does, that you have chosen with your power to empower us. So God, this week, that we're gonna make a lot of mistakes. I pray that we will take seriously what it means to steward your power in this world. 
And that we will not do that in a way that will exploit other people, but we will do it in a way that will bring life to others. And Jesus, you were the ultimate example of this. One who surrendered to the will of your Father, trusting in his power and empowering us to do the same. So through the bread and the cup and everything that this moment right now provides and presents for us, we give you thanks. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray in the church. Amen.